you to recognize that when we uh, talk about being vintage, we talk about being the church, that uh, I need you to recognize and, and, and understand that we don't, we gather, yes, it's somewhat for those who gather, right? That you come, we want you to be encouraged, we want you to be blessed, we want you to, uh, we want you to, to enjoy being here and enjoy family, that's great. But you have to recognize that if that's the only reason we came, that we'd be wasting our time. That we believe that God has purposes. We talked about last week, he has purposes. He has things that, that he is longing to do. It says in Scripture, we, it's, it's the Lord's Prayer. Because the Lord's prayer is pretty important, right? He prays that your, his, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's already been spoken in heaven. So what it basically means in the sense that you, you create that, that word picture there, there are things that are stirring right here that have yet to happen. And that God therefore has these purposes. He has these things that, that he wants to do, these things that he wants to do in us and, and primarily things that he wants to do through us. And so the idea of, 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 of where we are and where we are in life is simply this. We live, we live in this circle. This, my friends, is community. If you can't see, actually looking, at the, looking here, you can look on the screen, all right? Isn't that pretty cool we're doing that today? Let's be honest, that's pretty awesome, right? That's Tony right there. Tony Cerna Michelle says, and he put all this together. So good job, buddy. Proud of you. All right. So, yes. Yeah, so this is community. We live in a community, right? You have a neighborhood. You have a job. You have, we live in the with we, vintage. This building is in the context of this much larger community. And I don't know about you, but I, I think I'm pretty sure there are lots of broken places and broken people in our community. Like if you just think about your own life, you could probably spend a couple of hours just standing up here in this, on this stage with the microphone in hand, and just talk about people or situations or things that are broken. We all know, we all experience, we've all seen these things. So we, so we live in the context, I would say, of a, of a broken community. Therefore, the purpose of vintage, the mission of vintage, the reason that God has us here as the people of God, his large family, right, is, we said, this is our, this is our vision, Community transformation. In fact, you may not know this, but all the churches in our network, all six of us, have this, this right here, community transformation as the ultimate mission, right? Excuse me, the ultimate vision. This is the direction that we're going. We're moving towards community transformation. We want to transform our community. We want to transform it spiritually. There are those who are disconnected, disenfranchised, right? Just don't like God, don't like Jesus. And we want to see a spiritual transformation in their lives, right? We want to see a physical transformation. There are those who were broken, who were physically hurting, those who were, who were lost. We've embraced this foster care movement because there are parents in need and there are children in need. And we, listen, you all recognize in foster care, we don't just want to minister to the children in our homes, right? Like we don't go foster care, great kids, bad parents, there's nothing of that. It's it's bad, difficult situation, difficult place of life. Maybe sin is involved. I don't know what you I have some of that in my life, too. Right. And so so we want to minister holistically to the family. Right. Minister to these beautiful children and minister to their parents. Right. We want to transform the community. We want to come in. Listen, we want to see we want to see a change in the atmosphere of our community. Like it says in Ephesians, it says, it says, is this great revival, this great move of God broke out. So the entire province, that's a big place, the entire province heard the name Jesus. Like you want to talk about a, an atmosphere shift. 
When the name of Jesus is expressed everywhere, it just changes the atmosphere of a place and of a community. And so we want to see these things happen. We want to see our community transformed. But we recognize that, that, that there's a life for God that we have to live to see those things happen, right? That, that God, yes, God could move by himself, and he does, but he always, throughout history, has chosen men and women to move through, hasn't he? All the way through Scripture. We see him using men and women to do great things. Listen, some of you don't like women, but listen, Deborah led the entire nation of Israel. God instituted that. He uses women. He uses men. He uses children. If the little kid says, hey, you can have my fish and my bread. And the disciples go, oh, thanks. Right? Because the kid had the faith to believe that Jesus could do something with it. And so we have this beautiful call that God wants to move in us. And so that's why since January, we said we want you, we want to lead you to live your real life. Your real life. We can call it kingdom life. You can call it the Jesus life. I don't care what you call it. But it's just ultimately for us, we're saying it's our real life. That Jesus can do this work in us. That he moves us from where we are today. He grows us and matures us. We call it the process of sanctification being made into the image of Jesus. It just means we're growing and maturing because we need to grow mature, right? We grow and we mature into the man or to the woman that God has designed for us to be. It's our real life. The picture we created several, many, many months ago now, if you remember this, we said Peter, pre-Jesus, was a lovely fisherman who knew no one working the night shift. Three years after meeting Jesus, his shadow's healing people. Now, I'm not putting that out there like this, like, weight of, like, you better, your shadow better heal people. I'm not putting that weight on you, okay? That's Jesus is doing. But I do want to put it on you. Hey, there's good news. You can grow. <laughs> you haven't reached the end and the pinnacle of your life. That there is maturing and that God wants to do. There's a, there, is, there is more. Listen, you may say, well, I'm living my real life. But there's more of your real life. There's always the growing and the maturing. In fact, you know, because there's always it's inexhaustible. We can listen, some of you, about heaven. Like, you know, you never stop learning. Right? Like, you never stop learning. Because if Jesus is inexhaustible, then we will spend the rest of eternity learning about him and growing in knowledge of who he is. Why do you think the angels cry out, holy, 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 all day long? Because every day, Hebrews reveals something new about himself. And you're like, that guy, yeah, holy, holy, holy. Oh my gosh, holy, holy, holy. They just do it, right? Because all day long, he's, oh, he's so great. And he's saying, I want to live, I want to move, move into your real life. Move into your real life to be who I've called you to be. And to do what I've called you to do. Because the idea is this, listen, when we live our real life, those you can't look at this, look at the screen. It's like we all of a sudden do this, right? We become like this and we become like this. And, and the idea is that we're so many arrows going together as the body that looks like it's just one big arrow going to, to community transformation is we're all living our real life. And so when we talk about being vintage, please don't listen let me just release you from something that honestly frustrates me a lot. There's other things I wanted to say. 
Hear this, everyone. I want you to take something. I did not do this at 9 o'clock, friends, just so you know. I want you to take something out of your vocabulary and help me and help us become who we're designed to be. If someone asks you, how's vintage going? Never talk about worship. Never talk about singing. And never talk about Sunday morning as the primary thing that you discuss. The church is not a building and a Sunday morning experience. It is a people in action filling the purposes of God. If we spend more time frustrated with a message or talking about a message or talking about worship or being too loud, then you've missed what it actually means to be and to talk about church. This is not church. This is a gathering of the people of God. And in the context of our gathering, we sing and we get exhorted in teaching. This is not church. Church is people living their God-ordained, spirit-empowered, real life to kick butt in Jesus' name as they transform a community that he's always loved from the very beginning of time. That was funny. You clapped. So, like, all right, there you go. So, so this real life we're called to live, right? This is it. And we said this. This is the beautiful piece. And this kind of this real quick. So our real life then, this, I mean, this is what we're doing all in. What are we all in? So Steve, we're doing all in. Intentional investment for life. What do I all in for? What was this? this? Number one, I'm going to do this little nice pretty Venn diagram. The circles will not be to scale, okay? So this whole di- so the first one right here is discipleship. Man, we have to be a people who lead people to Jesus, who grow them. Jesus had 12 disciples. Why? Because he said, I have to, get, I have to put myself in family. I can't do this by myself. I need 12 other people. And the women came along. It was the men and the women. In fact, it was the women who gave them all the money to do it. It's fantastic, right? Because they're the ones making money. So this whole dynamic going down, men and women with Jesus, the disciples of God, of Jesus and God, right? He's God. They're going and doing their thing, and he's growing them, and he's leading them to their real life. He's growing them. He's maturing them. He's preparing them. So we want to be about discipleship. The second part. Right here is family. We've been talking about it. You're so tired of me talking about family. Guess what I'm talking about this morning? More family. We're talking about family, right? You have to be in family. Why? Because you do more together than you do by yourself. There are these horses somewhere, if we have the name of them right, but they're these pulling horses. They pull stuff, right? And so these horses by themselves individually can pull 5,000 pounds. So you put 5,000-pound puller, 5,000-pound puller, you yoke them together, and they pull... 25,000 pounds. Because the idea, biblically speaking, all the way from the beginning of Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is there's this work that we do together. And so we have to be in family. We've been talking about it last week. At length, right, this idea of being family. We believe it is the foundation. It's the launching pad. And the third circle right here, right here, is mission. And right here, then, is the real life. As these overlap, as we're doing discipleship, family mission, as we're living our life, going to the community, right? As we do these things, 
This makes up our real life. And then we leave and we go into our community empowered. Why? Because we are now part of a much larger whole. So we are the body of Christ. I'm the hand. You're the finger. You're the nose. You're the head. Somebody besides me is the brain, right? It's beautiful. We just work together and do this stuff, right? We're the body of Christ as family going together because we need one another. Because I can pull 5,000. You can pull 8,000. Together we can pull 45,000. Because it's not just we're just family. We're family empowered by the Holy Spirit together. And that's fun. That's fun. And so we're doing family, and then we're all just released in mission. It's this beautiful, beautiful peace for us. And so when we talk about being all in, we have this nice, pretty sign right here, and we're all in, we're doing all in small groups. Da, da, da. I mean, we're not doing small groups because you're supposed to do small groups at church. We're doing all in small groups because it says, we've got to get you in family. We've got to grow you. We're going to send you on mission. Why? Because God has purposes in his community that need to be transformed. And so please, 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 if your neighbors ask you, how was church today? You say, well, I'll let you know by the end of the week because I'm going to be the church this week. That's it. But don't get me wrong. I love worship. I love singing. But I want you to worship while you work as well as you worship in your singing. Because everything that I do for God on behalf of God is worship. Singing is just one small fraction of that. So we dive in this morning. This is it. You see the picture. You see the picture here. Our purposes, our real life, we live, we go out to being who God's called us to be, doing what we're called to do is discipleship, family, and mission. So let's dive one last week into family by looking at Acts chapter 2. You can turn in your Bibles there, starting in verse 41. It's a starting point for us. We know the story. Acts 1.14 last week, Jesus said, wait for me, wait for me in Jerusalem. So they all came back. To they were all together as one in prayer, right? There was this togetherness, togetherness that defined their being, defined their existence. They were, they were together. They weren't by themselves in their own personal prayer closets. No, they were together as one, right? They were going after God. They were eating together. They were hanging out together. They were probably laughing together, right? I mean, it's a bunch of men in a room together. You know what's happening, right? They're farting together, having this great time together, right? It's just what they do, okay? I mean, seriously, it's real life. It's real life. Someone's got gas. Someone's not feeling well. Someone's got a headache. Someone's got whatever. It's just real life. Don't pretend like we don't experience it together, okay? Inside of your four walls, whatever. So, so they're doing life together. They're praying together. They are together in togetherness. And then all of a sudden, they're praying for like 40-something days. And all of a sudden, God says, today's Pentecost I've got thousands of people coming into the city for this great celebration. Today's the day. And all of a sudden, the scripture tells us that the Spirit of God descended upon them like tongues like fire. And they all began to speak in tongues, right? And it says, people said, we, we understand them in our language. So we see the, the gift of tongues. We see the gift of interpretation of tongues. Listen, they weren't, listen, they weren't literally speaking this person's language. They were speaking this angelic language, and they had a gift of interpretation to hear it in their own language. And so there's beautiful things happening. God's doing his work. And then Peter's, and they're like, oh, my gosh, they must be drunk. And Peter stands up, listen, right? Peter stands up with that authority now of the man who's been empowered by the Holy Spirit because he's met Jesus just years prior and everything has changed. And he stands up and says, listen, this is Jesus, the one you killed, and that's why this is happening today. And unless you repent, you're going to go to hell. That's basically what he said. Sort of. 
You need to repent. You need to turn back to him. He is the Messiah. He is the one that you're supposed to be waiting for. And, you, and our leaders killed him. Pick it up in verse 41. And those who accept this is for chapter 2 of Acts, verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. Awesome. We're going to do that in a couple of weeks. Listen, if you've never given your life to Jesus, please do it because I want to baptize you. We've got to talk through that, though. And about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So basically the church went from 120 to 3,120 overnight. Could you imagine that happened at Vinted? Verse 42, they, the new converts, these new believers in Christ, right, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, that's the word we're going to focus on this morning, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Recognize there's only one verse that goes to the work of the Holy Spirit and supernatural gifts, right? Verse 44, all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. All right, so let's dive into this. A couple of things that I want you to, like three things I want you to see from this. Number one, and I, I'm not, just write these down. I didn't put them on the screen, but just says you have a bunch of people coming to the family at one time. Like, I mean, 3,000 were added to their number, literally. I mean, if 3,000 people can't, listen, if we open the doors and all of a sudden 3,000 people are standing outside waiting to get in to come to, to, to gather with this body, us, I would deputize every single of you to be a, to be a pastor. I mean, literally in the moment, I'm like, oh, my gosh, here, 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 right? Because we, we need help. I couldn't just go, oh, my goodness, Jesus, you're awesome. But help, seriously, because this is way too over my head, right? It'd be awesome. 3,000 people. And here's the thing about it. There are people, and listen, there's a, right now about 120 people in this room. How many of those 120 do you know? Maybe, some of you maybe know 15, 20. Some of you know one. Some of you know, somebody in here knows zero. So imagine if you're in a room this small and a group of 3,000 and you feel like a stranger in this room, how much the reality is that they were all strangers. They weren't this family coming in. They were from all outside. They were coming in. They spoke different languages, their own native language. I mean, they're not family. They're not best friends. They're not BFS forever, right? No, I mean, they're coming in. They're strangers. That's important. That's very, very important to the scripture. Because you had a group of strangers who don't know one another. And the second thing happens is they immediately, immediately embrace a powerful, deep, and rich expression of family. Verse 42 says, and they devoted. Devoted. That's a big word, isn't it? They devoted. The best in themselves. They devoted their energies. They devoted themselves to fellowship. This word fellowship is taken from a word that those are a little bit older and were around the church in the 70s and 80s. The word koinonia. Remember that? The koinonia coffee houses and stuff like that? Koinonia. Right? Love that. Koinonia. And they put it on like all these signs. Koinonia. This idea of fellowship. This is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture here. This rich word that means more than just a casual hangout. Like, have you ever seen that video by Tripp and Tyler called Shoot Christians Say? If you've ever seen that video, you all need to go YouTube this. It's like if you've been in Christian culture long enough, you're going to watch it and go, oh, my gosh, we sound like the biggest idiots in the world. Because we have all this Christian lingo and language that nobody else in the world has. Listen to it, right? Shoot, Christians say it's on YouTube. You have to watch it. You're going to be embarrassed for yourself, right? 
And he's in there talking like, yeah, dude, last night some killer fellowship, man. That's some great fellowship we had last night. It's a good fellowshipping, right? And what we mean is like this casual hangout with buddies over, over dinner, over lunch, whatever it is, or just sitting there hanging out, right? But the nature of pointing this word fellowship in the Greek, it's a much more rich. It has in mind this, listen, has in mind first this rich and intimate relationship with the Father and his son Jesus, which in turn automatically leads to fellowship with one another in a deep and intimate relationship with our brothers and sisters in the family of God. So koinonia, this word fellowship means I have a rich relationship with God, which in turn means I automatically then have a rich relationship with my brothers and sisters, my family, my church, my people, my tribe. We see this language in 1 John 1, 3. It's John the Apostle. Remember, he, he, he lovingly described himself as the one whom Jesus loves. I mean, come on, right? He thinks a lot of his relationship with Jesus, and he says this. What we, he and his disciples, what we have seen and heard, we now proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship, our koinonia with you, it's like our, indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What you're getting at here is he's saying we have an intimate relationship with God. And when we then, it, when you enter into relationship, when you enter into our family, when you come into our circle, then now we are automatically in relationship together with the Father. You've been invited into the family. You know, when I was in high school, I was not, isn't, I know it's hard to believe it, I was not the cool kid. Right. I was not Mr. Popular. I didn't have any accolades in the yearbook. I was the unknown guy. Right. And so I so my 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 sophomore year of high school, I forget what it years, there was this girl that I became really good friends with in my homeroom. And I didn't know, it, but she she liked me. Shocking. I know. Right. She liked me. And and so and all of her friends knew it. And so all of her friends wanted to help because, you know, I was one of those guys that never asked a girl out unless I knew she was going to say yes because I was fear of, being fear of rejected, right? Fear of rejection. So, so I was afraid to ask her out, all this kind of stuff. So, so we're there. And, and so I walk into the lunchroom one day. And listen, and, and this group, like, you know, you had, you had the popular groups in your school. Like, there was the jocks who were popular and then the smart kids. Like, this honestly was like the wealthy, trendy, popular group, which I definitely did not fit into in any form or fashion, right? And so I walk into the lunchroom, and now all of a sudden this whole group of really pretty people go, Steve, Steve. I go like this. They're like, yeah. I'm like, what? I walk in, and I sit down at the table. And, man, it's like, they start, like, asking me all these questions. Listen, they laughed at every joke that I told. That's a big deal, right? I mean, they thought I was awesome. And and, and then all of a sudden they started talking about my relationship with this girl. And all of a sudden I realized, and they said, you know, you should ask her out. So, they, so my point was this. It's like I, one day I walked in my lunchroom with my normal crew over here who I just sat with. And then one day I walk in and I was in. And I was in, not because of anything I'd done, but because of this relationship with this person. And now I had a relationship with their whole crew of people. And that's the picture here of fellowship is that, I had this intimate relationship with the Father, and you have an intimate relationship with the Father. And because of the intimacy we have, we've now come into the same room together, and now we are to have intimate fellowship with each other because of our relationship with Dad, the Father. 
And it goes on. It's this beautiful picture about right, this fellowship. So they're strangers. They have fellowship. And their fellowship, listen, is based on their values. Their fellowship, their koinonia, this intimate relationship, is based on their values. A value, listen, of hospitality. See, you may forget this, but Christianity was not birthed in a vacuum. In fact, these people would never have called themselves Christians. They would have simply called themselves Jews, the people of God. They had the fulfillment of the Messianic promise in Jesus. And so they're like, hey, we've been Jews. We waited for the Messiah. Hey, he just showed up. Woohoo! Right? And we're going to continue being Jews. And one of the primary values in the context of the life of a Jew is this value this value of hospitality in the context now of, of being family, they always embrace this idea of hospitality. This was their heritage because they knew themselves as Jews, and therefore, in the context of relationship, they always practiced the biblical idea, the biblical value of hospitality. I mean, for those of you who grew up in the South, I mean, we have our own values, right? If a men, if you grew up in the South, and this is anywhere, but but if, a, if, a, if you walk up to a door and any woman of any age comes up, what do you do? You open the door. It's a value, isn't it? We value opening doors for ladies. How many of you were, had a, and your parents had a value of saying of honoring other your elders? So they, you always had to say, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. Anybody in this room have to do that? Yeah, exactly, right? You this dynamic going down. We have our own values, things that, that, that are part of our culture, part of who we are. And so in, in the early church, and in, in because of Judaism and their, and their connection to Judaism, they had a, a value of hospitality. And when I use the word hospitality, I don't want you to just to think about just, hey, I'm going to be nice to you. Or hospitality in the home. Well, yeah, I'm just going to invite you to come hang out at my house. No, the idea of hospitality is much more rich. And much deeper. It's taken, it's taken uh, from this word called phylloxenos. It's two words, right? It literally means phylloxenos, phylos, which means love of friend. And then xenos, which means stranger. Phylloxenos is a love of stranger. Hospitality. The idea that in their lives as a marker of their togetherness, of being family, it's that there's this hospitality of, of, of giving the best of themselves to another person, meeting their needs, inviting them into their home if they need it, right? There's this beautiful ideal and, and value of, of hospitality that defines, yes, their relationship with friend, but also their relationship with, and primarily, honestly, with the word, relationship to strangers. You know, we're really, really bad at this in the church. We're all really bad. None of us are super great at this. Some better than others. You see it expressed. This, you see their hospitality expressed in fellowship in verse 44, 45, and 46. 44, all believers were together. All strangers were together. Had everything in common. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Not to people who would repay them. 
not people who were closest with them. They gave to anyone who had need. Verse 46, they broke bread together in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They invited strangers into their home. So there's a couple of things here. Number one, their hospitality was not based on who they knew. They, didn't just, they just weren't hospitable to the people they were friends with and that they knew, right? Because thousands were added, which means hospitality had been shown to thousands of strangers, right? Their generosity was for who they knew and for the stranger. The second thing you can't miss is their hospitality. It was not guilt-driven, but values-driven. As far as we know, the apostles did not stand up and guilt them with three or four offerings to make sure they got all the money they needed for something. The apostles sitting there one day having a conversation, probably because they're so holy in prayer and Bible study, and, and all of a sudden, a whole group of people just shut up and said, here's, we just sold all of our stuff. Here. You know, you distribute it. And they went, did you ask them to do that? No. I guess it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh. Fantastic. We'll do this. We'll give to anyone. The third thing, I love this, their hospitality led to great meals. I mean, don't you just love, I love the word here in verse 46. So they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Doesn't that just sound Norman Rockwell-ish, right? They're just sitting together doing life, having meal together. They're so glad. It's sincerity and sincere simply means they weren't doing the meal so they could get something from the person they were sitting with. No, it was a mutual relationship. I'm giving to you, knowing you're going to give to me, because that's just the nature of every healthy relationship, isn't it? We give and we receive in every relationship. Listen, I'll never forget, I went to, I went to India back in 99, and one, I told the story before. I went to, we went to this little village and with people full of grass huts and, and, and just hardly wearing anything, and they had never seen a white person before. And I walk in, my other white friend, and they're like staring at us like, ah, oh, right, it's a demon. And so, anyway, we come in, and... And they have a, someone who's translating for us, and they start talking, and, and, and we connect. And they all of a sudden, all the kids start coming, all these adults. And so I, we get up, and we start talking about Jesus. And I get done talking about Jesus, and this couple invite us into their grass hut, maybe the size of, of both of these rugs put together. And, I, and I'm like, oh, okay. And we walk in, and look, we have to, like, it's like the, wall, the, the door's like this low, and you kind of crept, walked in. You get into the dirt floor, right? Had one dangling light bulb on a string coming down and, and, and they come in and, and they just start feeding us. They start giving us tea. This is what you do, right? And I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm just, and I'm, I'm, I'm undone. Because I, I came to bring the gospel of Jesus to these heathens, right? And they were being Jesus to me. With hospitality to a white man. They've never seen that type of color before in their home. And they're unbelievably poor. And I realized when I left, like, that's probably everything that they had. God. This is your heart. And I'm receiving it from Hindus. What do I do with that? This is how I'm supposed to be. And I'm not. I was so convicted because they were sitting there in their home with glad and sincere hearts. They didn't want anything from me. They just wanted to be with me. This is the picture of being with strangers 
who may even be scary in your own eyes, but you invite them in. That's what we're doing in foster care. That's why we're doing foster care. Not because we want to make Jesus love us more by bringing them in. No, because we want to take the stranger in. We want to take the stranger's parents and love on them. Have you seen the movie The Blind Side? I mean, man, you love that story. You love that movie? Let me see Michael Orr. He takes the guy and takes him all in the field and throws him over the fence. You're like, yes, the best scene of any movie ever. Here's this family who's unbelievably wealthy in their nice BMW, and they see a need. They roll the window down, and the woman gets out of the car and goes to the big man, the big scary man, because you know you don't invite scary people into your home because what's going to happen to your home? And you invite the stranger in. You know what happened? Their real life, left the, it led to transformation. Michael Orr is now playing professional football because this uptight, wealthy woman got out of her car and answered the call of Jesus. Hospitality to the stranger, inviting them in. One of the reasons we don't do these things is because, and you all know the answer, we're just too busy, right? Life. Why don't you do this? Because of life. But the great, and the great problem with our life is that we, we gauge our effectiveness in life on our busyness. We want people to know how important we are by the busyness of our life. And so, like, how we, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired, I'm so busy. And the idea of our life, then, is the problem is this. We don't have these things right here. These, my friends, are called margins. We don't have margins. We live our lives so intentionally busy with things we're doing for our kids because we make an idol of our kids. We're, doing, we're so busy because we have an idol of our own hobbies and our own passions in life, right, that we don't create margin. But do you recognize that Jesus' greatest ministry in life happened in the margins? Jesus was on the way to a specific, to, to heal. Listen, so Jairus' daughter was sick and he called to her in the middle of his life, and he, so that was out of his margins, right? That was a margin of his life. He had his own to-do list, right? And he says, oh, I'm going to go to Jairus' daughter. I'm going to bring healing. That's outside the margins, the margins. You know what happened then? The woman with the issue of blood came up and touched his garment. She was healed. He stopped and ministered to her with his, like, first she was healed, and then he said, you are clean you are beautiful, and I love you. That's what you can take from that story, okay? In the margins. How many of you this week did not call somebody, that did not go to someone's house, and you felt guilty because you were just too busy? You're like, oh, I'll just call them later. Oh, oh. You did that. Maybe you went like this. Maybe you went, oh, I don't know how you did it. But you were too busy. I'm not going to lie. I sat there, and, and, and this is for you, Ed, and, and Darren or Rob. So I was sitting there this week, and, and I told Randall, like, on the way home yesterday, from the, like, I think I need to get my, kind of my DNA group. I need to give them my schedule. I need to let them cut and paste what I'm going to put inside my margins. Because I can't do it, and I can't let Randall do it because she has her own vested interest in these things. I can't be her, her gauge either. I need to let people outside of my world hear Jesus for me 
and set my boundaries on what I do and what I don't do so that I can create margins so that I can come to your house or I can invite strangers into my house or invite you to my house or vice versa. Because I don't have margins in my life. We don't do these things because we have a value of busyness, performance, and personal value of self that we look important. So, here's something really practical I want to invite you to do. There are people in this room, the Aragons being one of them, who are really, really good at this. I want to, so with margins, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you with one simple practical step, step of hospitality. Okay? It's going to be in the vein of what you already do in life anyway, so it's not it's just a matter of invitation. I want to challenge you and ask you to consider, that's a really polite way of saying this, I get to ask you to consider, I'm going to ask you to consider embracing hospitality by doing two meals with people this week and in the upcoming weeks. Meal number one, it's somebody that you're already in relationship with, someone already in your family, someone who's already in your community, right? It could be breakfast, it could be lunch, it could be brunch, it could be coffee, it could be dinner. I don't care what it is. It could be dessert. That'd be awesome. Invite me to that, right? You know, we just do this with this invitation with somebody that you're in relationship with. And then the hard one. Invite a stranger or someone you don't know that well. Or that mom that you see every day at school who's frazzled and you're like, oh, that, oh, 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 oh. That moment, I should connect with them because their life seems like it's miserable. It seems like it's hard. They seem overwhelmed. Someone at the workplace, who's that person at the workplace? You walk by their cubicle and you're like, oh, I should talk to them, talk to them, talk to them. Oh, whew, I got by that time again. Woo, man, that was a close one. Almost walked in and was Jesus to them. Invitation, lunch, brunch, dinner, coffee, dessert. I don't care. Someone who's a stranger to you, someone you don't know that well. Because the idea of strangers is this. When you sit down with a stranger over a meal, and even preferably in time, I don't want to stretch you too far, but invite them into your home. Listen, when we were at UCF in Orlando, we were friends with this uh, group, the Messinas. I'm not sure they're here, but they were doing this ministry to the Chinese. And after a while, the Chinese basically asked someone one time, why do you not like us? Like, no, we spent all this time with you. It's like, and why have you never invited us into your home? Because if you've been in China and we met you, we'd immediately invited you into our home. It's like, so he literally said, like, please, you know, when the Chinese invite them to your home, right? There's this beautiful picture of hospitality. There's something about Knocking down the wall, the door to let someone into your home that's beautiful, that's rich. And we're bad at it because we have no margins. But when you invite someone to your home, a stranger automatically becomes family. A stranger automatically becomes family. And when strangers become family, 
and they're invited into your world. They're invited into your lunch table because you're the cool person these days, right? You invite them into your world, and you begin to do life with them, and you love them, and they become your family. And all of a sudden, you find yourself doing family, and you find yourself then being Jesus to them and discipling them because you're now living on mission, right? And all of a sudden, you find yourself growing in your real life, and all of a sudden, they give their lives to Jesus along with all their other friends, and now the community is being transformed because tens are coming into the kingdom. Through you. Do you see how all this works together? Are we all in? Are we all in? This is where I want you to process this week and in your small groups. I want you to pray into. If you're not in a small group, then find someone to do a meal with and process it with them. We have to get other people involved in this conversation because isn't it it true? If things just stay in here, convictions, you rarely do them. If they just stay inside the, the four walls, the, the circular oval shape of your brain. But when you speak, why did I just speak that about the accountability to, to Ed as part of my DNA group? Because it would have been really easy for me to go into our Friday morning meeting and not actually brought that up. But now Ed's going to go, so where's your calendar? Dang it. I really, I really said it out loud, didn't I? I thought I said it in my head. Dang it. Get it outside. Speak those things. Talk to someone. Figure it out together. I would even invite you to say, do a meal. Like, if you're going to invite strangers in, invite another couple in. That's fun, too. Sometimes three is more fun than two. I'm just saying. It's just uber practical. Talk about these things. Allow God to put his finger on these things. Die to your own selfish pride about being busy and recognize when you get to heaven. Jesus let me go and... Well done, busy person. Well done. He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your presence. Father, we, we want to thank you that um, in this Jewish tradition, God, we have this beautiful and, and powerful value of hospitality. And God, we just confess that we love when people are hospitable towards us. We call it customer service, and we love it. And God, I pray that the church would have the greatest customer service in their lifestyles every day. Father, we confess that we are too busy. God, we confess that we are too selfish. God, we confess that we have not made enough time. We made an idol of it. We confess, God, that we put our own personal agenda and our kids' agendas before the agendas of the kingdom, we ask forgiveness for that, Jesus. We ask this morning, God, that you just, with grace, without condemnation, not guilt involved, because you literally, God, you can't do guilt. You can't do condemnation. You can't do it. That's not who you are. It's not in you. You're only conviction, which leads to life immediately. And I'm asking for conviction that leads to life in the area of of, of family, of koinonia, fellowship, of stranger, Father, of, of hospitality, God. Make us awesome at this. We invite you to come this morning and speak into our hearts and our lives. God, I pray that you would give us the people we need to connect with, our friends we need to connect with, the ones we need to share with and be honest with, the ones that, God, the strangers that we need to, to engage. God, I pray and ask this week that, God, you would give us 50, 50 stories, 50 stories of hospitality being expressed specifically to strangers. God, I have to confess, I will be dissatisfied 
apart from 50, I know that's a lot of weight on people, God, so just don't, that's my deal, I apologize. But, but God, I pray that you just put that on people, God, to invite people in. Do life, or say 50 in the next six months, months. God, I pray that you would move in.